0: your Bibles to John chapter 11. We're going to wrap up John 11 today. Last week was the climactic event. Lazarus being raised from the dead. And it was an earth-shattering event, (laughs) to say the least. And the ripples from that miracle went far and wide in the nation of Israel. And it leads us to where we are today. The title of the message is The Plot. To kill Christ. There were people in the crowd that day where Lazarus was raised from the dead. There were many who believed. But then there were many who still hardened their heart. We, we learned about it briefly last week. How they went and they became informants to the Pharisees. You would not believe what Jesus has done now. And... um. Their response was to begin in their minds a plan to put Christ to death. To finally get this rebel off the scene in their hearts is what they determined. But we're going to see that it all played into the sovereign plan of God. I want to remind somebody this morning as we begin, God is in control. God is in control. He is sovereign in the affairs of men. And what some mean for evil in your life. God means it for good. I want to say that again. God means it for good. I'm telling you, some of the most difficult things that I dealt with in my life, they're not good. They're, they're, they're difficult, but God uses it. He he's used it in my life to 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 mold me, to make me who I am today. And you all could probably say the same. And uh So we're going to unpack this this morning, the plot to kill Christ. Let's start reading in verse number 47. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them being Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put Him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near wilderness to a city called Ephraim. And there remained with His disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near. And many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. Adrian Rogers said it best. Jesus is the unavoidable, inescapable, inevitable fact of life. The miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead brought everything that Jesus had done and said to a head. There was no more denying Him. The Pharisees had tried everything in their bag of tricks to discredit Jesus, to malign His name, to to call Him even as far as demon-possessed. But now He had done it. He had opened the bag. He had called a dead man back to life in the presence of many witnesses. And there was no refuting the fact that Lazarus was alive. And it, of course, caused a stir. It was undeniable. Now John continues in our verses this morning with the persistent theme that Jesus, His words and His works divide humanity. How many of you would say, I've noticed that in my life, that Jesus, and and when I speak of Jesus at work, or when I speak of my faith in Him, it seems to divide the room. Amen? <laughs> there are those who love Him, and there are those who hate Him. And, and He's that type of a polarizing figure. And this was the, the case in His day while on earth. It, it amazes me, it astonishes me how the same group of people could see the same miracle and have two different responses. And I've seen it, and we talk about it often even here. People can come into a room like this and hear the same message and have two different responses. I think Linda said it best about her pastor that, oh, either you're going to love them or you're going to hate them. <laughs> this is what she tells people when she invites them to church sometimes. But it's true. There's, I mean, there's a polarizing figure when the truth, is being declared unapologetically and with boldness in the power of the Spirit, it's going to rub some people the wrong way. And other people, they're going to be like, a breath of fresh air, finally. That's kind of how I felt when I started listening to Pastor Shane on the radio some years ago. I knew there's something going on in that man's heart. He's unashamed of the Gospel. He's speaking the truth with the boldness that is few and far between. And so, I'm telling you, Jesus was that times a billion. (laughs) With the works and the, and the miracles to back it up. And so, people were divided about it. There were some who received him, but there were many who rejected him. Spurgeon uh, said of this truth that there were some that left that miracle scene and, and went straight to the Pharisees to, to tell on Jesus. He said, this is some of the meanest conduct that has ever been recorded in human history. That these hearts were so hardened that they would go to the people, the adversaries of our Lord, to tell them the news so that they would be forced to move their hand. But I want you to see, as we get into this plot to kill Christ, that was set in motion after this miracle, that there is, of course, no surprise on God's end. I want you to understand something about our God. Once again, He is sovereign, and He has never been surprised about anything. He knows everything that's going to happen before it happens. And and we can take comfort in even that, to know that He's in control. But I want you to notice with me first this morning, the emergency council that was called. The emergency council. Look at verse 47. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council. The a Council, so this was an emergency council. This was not on the calendar. <laughs> this was not an official meeting. But because of the miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead, it was necessary that they gather, that they meet and deal with the problem that Jesus was presenting. Um, his miraculous works were so significant that the chief priests and the Pharisees uh, decided to have this emergency meeting of the Sanhedrin. Now, this is the ruling power in Israel, the r- religious ruling power. Of course, Rome was in power. Rome had the final say at this time, but he, Rome was was so gracious to give the Jews, because of their stubbornness, a little bit of freedom to still observe their religion, to still uh execute some types of judgment in certain areas. And so the Sanhedrin was, was of course, uh, uh, compri- comprised of the leaders, the religious leaders of the day. And so they gathered a council, and they were going to deal with the cause of their issue, which was, of course, Jesus. He was doing many works, the Bible says, they said this man uh he does he works many signs, okay now, I want you to notice the shift in their opposition before they opposed Jesus because they were convinced that he was not the Messiah, that he was some renegade some some false teacher, but now they were going to oppose Jesus because they were now convinced that he was the Messiah, that he was in fact sent from heaven. That He was in fact God in the flesh. Now, they had to acknowledge His miracles. But I want you to see, it didn't change their treatment of Jesus. I think the world today, they have to acknowledge that there's something about Jesus. There's something about that name. There's something about Him. Just look at history. There's no more literature written about any other figure in history than Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There's mo- there's more songs written about Him than any other subject the world has ever known. Our even calendar is divided. Of course, they tried to change that, I think, recently, in the recent years, but B.C. and A.D. Uh, our, our time frame uh, that we live in is divided between uh, this figure, Jesus, our Savior. I'm telling you, He is an unavoidable subject. He is the unavoidable figure throughout history. Why? How could a homeless carpenter who never won a war politically, who never did anything on the the scale of, of, in the sense of worldwide domination, how could he have so much impact? Because he is the God man. And I want to remind somebody of that this morning. We're not preaching about another religious figure that we could put on the shelves with the other religious figures throughout history. No, Jesus is far above them all. He is alone in His uh, his royal position as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so, He is the cause of this emergency council. They say, uh, He's done so much things, What what do we do with it? How do we handle it? We have to acknowledge what He is doing. And I want to ask that question. What will we do with Christ? What will you do with Christ? Will you do what these men will shortly do? Reject Him? Reject Him over and over and over again? Or will you receive Him like many who, who, who witnessed who He was? That question alone will determine your eternity. What will you do with Jesus? I've met people from all walks of life. I love coming to church here. I love the diversity of our church. You know why our church is what it is? Because obviously there came a point in each one of our lives where we decided to trust Jesus. And this room would never, we would never in any other setting be in the same room. But the one reason that we are here together Different cultures, different age groups, different likes and dislikes, different—you know—what you name it. The reason why we are here in this room is because of Jesus, because we love Jesus, because Jesus has saved us, because we heard the, the word of God, we heard the gospel of salvation, and we received Him. And maybe you're here today, and you're searching, you want answers, and you realize that everything—like we sung a moment. A in this world doesn't satisfy you. You've been searching for fulfillment. You've been searching for your purpose. And you couldn't find it in the textbooks that tell you you evolved from monkeys and that you go to the dirt, to oblivion. I'm telling you, I, I have some news for you. You were not evolved from a monkey. You were created in the image of God. And not only that, He loved you so much that He came to die for your sin and for my sin. And He wants a relationship with you. The God of the universe desires a relationship with you. Let that sink in. Oh, Christian, let that sink in tomorrow when you wake up. May that draw you into the prayer closet. May that draw you into the Word of God that God wants to know and get closer and have a relationship with you and with me. Somebody needs to hear that today. I said, what are we going to do? What shall we do? Well, we're going to see. They were fearful for a few reasons. Jesus was shaking things up and they believed that if they were to leave him alone, like he was, like he was doing, that everybody would believe in him. <laughs> the works bear witness of what he preached and no doubt many will believe, many more will believe later as he he performed the ultimate miracle of raising from the dead. But they weren't quite right in that estimation. But the second reason why they were afraid was that they believed that the Romans would hear of this insurrectionist. They would hear of a group of people who are gathering around Jesus and that they would come in and, and, and smite them and, and, and knock this down by taking away their place and the nation. Now, I want you to notice that when they were referring to our place, they were referring to the temple. The temple. and um, This was a holy place to the, the Jews, right? This is their center of worship. This was their, you know, every feast centered around the temple and it was a big deal to them. And no doubt the temple, of course, originally was God's plan. I think about Solomon's temple. I was reading about Solomon's temple this week. Solomon's temple... Uh, was of course something to behold it was overlaid with gold and and you know it was it was a beautiful uh, estimations uh, say that it would have been in the multi billions of billions of dollars if that temple were to be in today's currency and it would have been something to behold and the best of the best no expense was spared when the first temple was made but we know ultimately God's people turned their back on him and he sent in judgment he sent in foreign nations to ravage them, to destroy that first temple, and to plunder it. And, uh, but later on, God gave a space of grace, and He sent back men like Nehemiah to build the wall, and then Ezra, who, who set up the, the religious practices, and then ultimately the wall uh, was rebuilt, and the temple, the second temple was erected. And, uh, it was said that in the Bible that when they were inaugurating that temple, that the young people, they rejoiced, but the older in the crowd who had seen the first temple, they wept because it paled in comparison to Solomon's temple. And uh But needless to say, this temple was very important to the Jews. They loved the fact that they had this, and even though they were under tribute to Rome, at least they still had their place of worship. They felt like they would come in and take that if Jesus kept drawing larger crowds. I want you to notice something too. They they referred to the temple as our place. The religious leaders thought the temple as their place, as if it belonged to them. And many church leaders today do the same. They truly think that the church is theirs, but we know the truth. This church and any church that Jesus is Lord in, it belongs to Him. This isn't my church. This isn't Pastor Shane's church. This isn't your church. This is Christ's church. And He is central in this church. And we go to Him and, and, and we, we get our orders directly from Him. We, we, we do what pleases Him in this place. A church where God is in His rightful place will resemble uh, what He would have it to resemble. It's sad today, churches in America... We're known more for our coffee shops and our amenities and rather than the glory of God. See, the temple was important because the glory of God came down and His presence was there in the temple, and that was the significance, not the brick and mortar, not the, the golden, uh, instruments, but the fact that God's presence was there would be to God. And I think about this often. If the preachers from yesteryear, from a hundred years ago, uh, the revivalists who, who preached across this nation, if they were to witness the, what's going on in the average church in America today, I think they'd weep. I think they'd They 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 groan within themselves because of the fact of how far that we've drifted in America, how far we've gotten away from keeping the main thing, the main thing. One of the things I love about West Side is that we may not have all the bells and whistles, but we are doing our earnest best to keep the main thing, the main thing, the truth of the Word of God, worship, prayer. Oh, we're trying our best to keep the glory of God in His house. Oh many churches don't even realize that the Holy Spirit has long evacuated their church, and they're just going through the motions. programs have replaced the power of God. Oh, I'm telling you a uh, little fireside chats ha- chats have replaced fire-breathing sermons. I'm telling you, we've gotten so far away, and there goes our culture. This is why our nation looks like it does. Would we'll be God, revival would come. Revival would come, so it would be God's church once again. In God's church, there's miracles regularly. The miraculous is the norm, not the, you know, the something that we see occasionally. Oh, you go to the churches over where the gospel's being oppressed, where the underground church is is, is thriving, and you hear regularly of miracles, signs, and wonders and we'll be the guy when we get there. But these leaders thought that this was their church and that it was their nation. No, but this this was God's church and his nation. And the tragic truth is that their rejection of Jesus resulted in political ruin and ultimately the destruction of that nation. 70 AD, studied out Titus comes in and he destroys the temple, he destroys Jerusalem. The bloodshed was unprecedented and for 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 centuries they were no nation and i want you to see something y'all even though we are not israel what we are seeing systematically happen in america what we are seeing in the destruction of the foundations that this nation was once founded upon what we are seeing in the political ruin I'm telling you, America isn't what it once was because we have rejected our God. This used to be one nation under God. There used to be somewhat of a semblance of a fear of God in this nation. And what we're seeing in the realm of politics where bills... Could even make it up to the vote in the chamber that if a baby is boxed and uh, abortion is boxed and that baby's alive on the table, that uh, there are 200 of our senators who voted that that child should not receive health care from the. I'm telling you, we have lost our minds. Where men can change their, their and become a woman and go into the gym's locker room with your child and with your wife. I told my wife the other day, hey, that'll be the day they'll be belling me out. I'll be calling pastor. Shame. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Where are the men? Where are the men? Oh, I'm gonna give us a strike. Sorry, Lord. No, I'm not sorry, Lord. I'm doing what you call me to do. But uh oh God help me. You gotta wake up. This the state of this nation agrees. I know all your hearts. I know. I know I'm not the only one. And, um, we, we are all but right for God's judgment. I think we're under God's judgment. And this is why Jesus, he wept over Jerusalem when he made his way in. You'll see it in just a few chapters. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, one who kills its prophets, would I not have gathered you like a hen gathers its chicks? He, he wept over the city and their rejection. And I'm telling you, we're we're on we're sinking sand right now in this nation, and we gotta wake up. And I think God is starting with the church. He's gonna start with us. We've got to wake up. We've got to get back to the prayer meeting. Oh, you say, pastor, here you go. Oh, what is it going to take for us to get back to the prayer meeting, to, to fast and to seek God's face, to get out of our comfort zones so that we can stand in the gap for this, this nation, for this generation. Oh, the blood of innocent children is on the hand of this nation. When Isaiah got right with God, he confessed not only his sin, but the sins of his nation. And when God said, who will I send? He said, here am I. Send me. And I'm telling you, America needs missionaries. America needs missionaries. Oh, I was thinking about it the other day. I was sitting with a man from our church who planted churches down in Los Angeles and my heart just once again was reminded of millions upon millions of people within a 45 minute drive of here who need to hear of Christ, who who need a church like this there. And I'm telling you, uh, it just burdened me once again anew and fresh, And I'm just telling y'all, if not now, when? When are we going to get serious about it? And um this nation would be destroyed because of their rejection of God. This emergency council that was convened, not much good came from it. But we're going to see it all plays into the hand of God because God is in control. I want you to see, secondly, this morning, Caiaphas' prophecy. Caiaphas, the high priest, is going to give a prophecy. And this reminded me that God can use whomever he chooses. Caiaphas was not a righteous man, Caiaphas was not a godly man. Caiaphas, even though he was the high priest, was a prideful man, we're going to see it in the way that he spoke in front of his council. But I heard this from a commentary this week: wholesome sugar may be found in a poison cane. A precious stone could be uh, could be in a toad's head, a flaming torch can be in a blind man's hand, and so we're reminded that God could even speak through a donkey if he needs to. We talked about it last week. The rocks would cry out if God saw fit. Caiaphas is going to give a prophecy. Caiaphas was a Sadducee. He was not a Pharisee. Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. Uh, they, were, they were intellectuals. Um, they got too smart for the Bible. <laughs> Anybody been around that type of a religious intellectual? <laughs> oh my goodness. And they were very prideful. And we're going to see it in how he uh he speaks here in verse 49. Let's look at it. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. <laughs> Imagine starting off your, your statement. You guys are you guys are empty brained. You guys don't know anything at all. Very prideful. Very arrogant. I've learned this when people ascend to position or, or, or you know, they have intellectual you know achievements, sometimes knowledge puffeth up. Causes a person to be just, how can I say it, obnoxious. You, no one wants to be around a know-it-all. <laughs> and uh, this is what Caiaphas, I think, is best described as. He so, you know nothing at all. And then he goes on and he gives his prophecy. He says, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not the whole nation should perish still. The, the first part of the prophecy that God gave to Caiaphas was that it was expedient that one would die for the nation. Isn't that right along the line of God's eternal plan? That Jesus would be our scapegoat. That He'd be our substitutionary atonement found only in Through his sacrifice that he would one would die for all and this is what he is outlining the truth that Jesus was the Lamb of God as John said in John chapter 1 to take away the sins of the world. He's the only one who can save. He's the only one who could pay our penalty. He was the only one that God had had determined from eternity past that he would be slain for uh, for the sins of the world. And this is what Caiaphas is explaining to the Sanhedrin. And uh, the Bible is clear, and John is clear to to, uh, give more insight on this. He says, now, verse 51, now this... He did not say in his own authority. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. John was careful to give credit to the office, not to the man. And that the prophecy that he gave was not on his own accord. It was God pouring that in and through him. And and so he, he was very careful to cover that. But not only would Jesus die for the nation of Israel, but I want you to notice that Jesus would die for the world. Look at verse verse fifty two. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. I was reminded of, of the Abrahamic covenant, when God promised his servant Abraham that I'm going to bless you with land, I'm going to bless you with uh seed, and I'm going to bless you with uh with uh uh, uh, uh what is it, long, I forget the third part. It's gonna to come to me. I'm getting old. <laughs> I'm gonna bless you, Abraham. And, uh, that from your line, the whole world will be blessed. And that your seed would be, uh, would be as the number of the stars in the sky. This was a prophecy of, of course, the coming of Jesus. That through this one family, through this bloodline would come Jesus. And that all the world will be blessed. Not just the Jews. Not just the Hebrews. But the whole world. Aren't you thankful this morning that Jesus came for the world? That God so loved the world. Oh, I think we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna be so surprised in heaven. I mean it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna look different than what I think we think it's gonna look like. And, God doesn't love America more than he loves the world. We don't have a, we don't have a stranglehold on this thing. <laughs> Long before America was even thought of, the gospel was going forth in power and people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, one day is going to sing the same song that we are all going to sing, that he is Lord, that he is Lord. And I'm looking forward to joining that song. Of those throughout the ages who came to faith in Christ and who were redeemed by the blood of that Lamb, the one and only spotless Lamb of God. And so Caiaphas was prophesying this, not of his own power. It was God downloading it into him. You see, God was in control at this very moment. God was in control at every single moment of this whole uh, ordeal. And this is what we have to be reminded of. And I just was reminded of this week that I can rest easy because God is in control. Whatever might come, God is in control. Whatever I might face tomorrow, God is in control. Anybody believe that? And God's plans for us is always for our good. And Jesus' death was for our salvation. He would suffer the death that you and I deserve. He would die in our place. We should have been on that cross. But Jesus took the sting of our punishment. And I'm so thankful that He did so. So He prophesied. Caiaphas' prophecy was that Jesus would die... For the nation, but not only that nation, but that he would draw in himself, gather in himself the children of God who had been scattered abroad. And, uh, Jesus' death would be the final, uh, the final necessary event to make the old system obsolete. He would no longer require sacrifice, blood sacrifice from animals. He would no longer require them going to the temple multiple times in a year to observe these feasts. No longer would the old system and the types and shadows found in it be necessary because the Lamb had come and his death would be all that is necessary. So we see that the council, the emergency council, we see Caiaphas' prophecy, but early this morning we're going to see the council's plan. The council's plan Look at verse 53. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. I want you to see the council's plan was a deadly plan. They plotted to kill Jesus. This was their official decision. You see, before that, it was only the lesser religious officials that wanted Jesus dead. But now the high priests, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees had all come into agreement. That Jesus must die. And the, all their political power and resources would be put behind it. We know ultimately they'd be able to pay off Judas. They, they were able to finance the betrayal of Jesus. And uh, they were looking for that opportunity. Now their plan was for this to take place after the Passover. Um, but God had a different plan. God, under, God had a plan that Jesus would be the final Passover lamb. And I want you to just, just grasp that. You see, they thought that they were planning and they were making things that happen and, and making moves and decisions. And God was in control of this as well. And all of this because Jesus <laughs> had raised the man from the dead. All of this because Jesus had proven to be who He had said He was. And they had come with this plot to kill Jesus. And uh, I want you to see this led to the conclusion of His public ministry. These are sad words, but of course it's all on the timeline that God determined. But look at verse 54. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into a country near the wilderness, to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with the disciples. Jesus, this was the conclusion of His public ministry. No more would people see Him openly until he would make his entry for the last time into Jerusalem. And I want you to just think about that. I said this earlier and I I stick by this. There's going to come a time in every human's life where it will be the last opportunity for them to make a decision for Christ. Every time someone rejects Christ and the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for our sin and that he rose from the grave three days later and that all who call upon Him for salvation are, are given eternal life. When a person rejects that, each and, each time I believe that they reject that, it becomes harder. Their heart becomes more adverse to the message. And, and, and there's going to come a point in time when they will not be able to respond. Or life will end before they have been able to make a decision. And, and I'm telling you, this is serious. This is why every time you see salvation mentioned in the Bible, it is imperative that a decision be made right then right then today is the day of salvation i'm talking to someone today maybe you've come in here today and you're on the fence and you you said i I just can't make the decision i just want to encourage you i I just want to tell you that today would be the wonderful day to open your heart to christ you will never regret trusting jesus christ and i'm telling you if you put it off it could be the last opportunity You've heard it, you've heard people say it. Oh, I'm just gonna wait till I'm on my deathbed, but they die instantly. Oh, I'm just gonna wait for you know when I sow my wild oats, and ultimately their heart gets so hard they don't even respond to the message, and I I'm just I'm just I'm just the messenger. And what God is desiring in every In every one of our lives, number one is that we would be saved. The Bible says that He is not willing that any should perish, but that all Come to repentance. This is good, acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who would have all men to be saved. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far you've gone. Jesus wants to save you this morning and He died on that cross with you on His mind. And today you can call out on Him and He'll save you. He'll take your sin and He'll give you His salvation. He'll give you a home in heaven for all of eternity. And I want to encourage you, if you've never done that, today is the day. Jesus warned some of these people, I'm going to go away and you're not going to see me again. And where I go, you will not be able to come. And this was a, a very solemn warning that He gave. And Any one of us who have been around long enough, we understand how fragile life is. We don't know when our number will be called. So Jesus he he uh, he retreats to Ephraim. It was not for fear. We knew, and uh, he displayed on many occasions that they couldn't grab him, they couldn't touch him until his hour had come, until it was right full time. And so, but he went there into quiet retirement with the disciples in this little village near the wilderness, in north of Jerusalem, fifteen miles. But I want you to notice that. The Passover crowd began to come in early. These are the early arrivers. Verse 55, the Passover Jews was near, the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. So there were many who would come in up to a week before the Passover and they would purify themselves. They'd go through the ceremonial cleansing and and, and to be prepared for the Passover. And the Bible says that they sought Jesus and they spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? And so they were seeking Jesus. I wonder what their motive was. And some of them, it was for the spectacle. They wanted to see what he would do now. At the last feast, he spoke openly and he, he did miracles and what is he going to do this time? And, and some maybe saw him because they wanted to know more. They they wanted to trust on him. And the Bible doesn't tell us why they sought, but they sought him. And I want to encourage us, church family, may this be the year that we seek God. No more playing around. No more halfway, you know, going through the motions. But may we seek God like we have never sought Him before. What does that look like, Pastor? Man, it looks like we prioritize Him. It looks like in our daily lives we put him in his rightful place. May be the first person that we talk to in the morning, the last person that we talk to at night. May we have a true relationship with the scriptures. May we have a prayer life that's uh, not where we would like it, but that it's on the on the road to where we would like it to be. May we be serious about worship. May we be serious about being in church. Oh, the Bible says that we should not forsake the gathering of ourselves together and even more so as we see the day approaching how many say pastor i see the day approaching <laughs> hey church is an optional and your kids shouldn't wake up on a sunday and say hey dad are we going to church they should know that they're going to be in church am i wrong hey If we're if not now when when are we going to seek him with all of our heart? If I told you, hey, out here on the on one of these hills in the only Valley, I buried a a, a box of gold coins, value at you know two million dollars. You go find that first person to find it. <laughs> you guys all be out of here before I said amen. Some and you would be searching. Jesus is. Do so you think that he's like the song is the song said, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold? I'd rather be his than have riches untold? Is he truly the treasure of your heart? Hey, it's so easy for our hearts to stray and to, to, to be Be focused on other things that won't matter. But we'll be to God that we be the church known as those who seek God. This church, they don't have all the bells and whistles, but they get after it when it comes to worship. They get after it when it comes to prayer. Oh, that pulpit is is hot with the truth of the Word of God. May we be a church that's seeking Jesus. The Word had been given by the chief priests and the Pharisees that if anyone knew where Jesus was to to let them know so that they can capture him and so the word had been out, and um John eleven reveals a few things: it reveals the deity of Jesus Christ. If you don't get anything from this message today, get this truth that Jesus is God, he's the only way of salvation and and um but it also reveals, this chapter reveals the deep depravity of the human heart. How those who even saw the, those miracles, still some of them hardened their hearts. I was reminded this week of the rich man and Lazarus, the story Jesus told. And how the rich man lived the life of, of just wealth and affluence and, and comfort. And he died, and the Bible says, and he lifted up his eyes in hell. The Bible says that Lazarus, another Lazarus, died, and he woke up in Abraham's bosom. He was in paradise. And uh he begged for water to be brought to him. couldn't be done, of course. And But then he made another request. He said, hey, will you send Lazarus to my five brothers, and tell them about this place so that they don't end up here. And, uh, Abraham explained, hey, there's a wide gulf, there's a gap between where we are, and there's no, no man could, could pass it. And, um, regardless of that, he said, they have Abraham, they have, and the prophets, they have the law and the prophets, they have Moses and the prophets, they have the word of God. And the truth is this, even if someone came from hell with the flames still and the embers still burning on them, there would be some who reject Jesus. And the grace of God would not be applied to their life. (sighs) We sung it, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That's the the most famous hymn of all time written by a former slave trader who was involved in the slave trade and and vile wickedness until he heard the good news and was gloriously saved. And he began to fight for the abolition of slavery. And I just want to tell you, hey, there's not a sinner in this room or who's watching online who God is not able to save and not willing to save. He, he desires for you to be saved today. If you need Christ, don't reject Him. Tell Him that you know you're a sinner. Tell Him that you know you fall short and that you want Him to be your Savior. And the moment that you do that, the Bible is clear that He saves you. He takes you out of condemnation into new life. You become a new creature instantaneous. It's, it's it's the miracle of miracles. You go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And it's only through faith in Christ. It's only in that name that salvation is found. The Bible says there is neither salvation in any other name given under heaven, given among men. It's only one name that can save. It's Jesus. So call on him today if you need salvation. May we seek him like we should with all of our hearts. May he be the treasure of our lives.